Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with your hosts, Amy Babinchak, James Kernan, and Carl Polichuk. Produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. This podcast is sponsored by the Small Biz Thoughts technology community. Check us out at smallbizthoughts.org. Forums, templates, and checklists are just the start. Our community includes all of the best-selling books on managed services in all available formats, plus free training, members-only programs, and the best business training available to managed service providers anywhere. Plus, we have weekly live members-only Zoom calls. The average member saves more than 200% of their membership cost each year. We are totally dedicated to your success. Just because you're in business for yourself doesn't mean you have to go it alone. Join us today at smallbizthoughts.org. Hi, this is Carl. Welcome to another SMB Community Podcast. We have a very special guest today, a great friend of mine. Uh, Yvette Steele is a global diversity, equity, and inclusion leader, building inclusive and equitable workplaces, one employee at a time. Her belief that inclusion is everybody's job that anybody can do was the catalyst of her new book, Impactful Inclusion Toolkit, 52 Activities to Help You Learn and Practice Inclusion Every Day in the Workplace. Welcome. Thank you, Carl. And I know the title of the book is a mouthful. (laughs) Well, that's an SEO title right there. I I completely endorse it. (laughs) So, um, so, um, so you're just for the record, you're in the Chicagoland area. Yes, I am. So it's very cold where you are. So you've been you've been hunkering down, finishing up the book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so you have no excuses. Um, so I have to say, so I know you're a parent, uh, as am I. Doesn't it feel like the the longer it takes for a book to come out, the more it feels like childbirth? Ooh, that is such an excellent analogy because. Um, when I started writing the book and my uh, publicist told me that it would take a year um, start to finish, it's actually, in that case, it's worse than childbirth because at right. least childbirth is over nine months. Um, but yeah, it, it, it literally did take a year. And, and essentially, when I wasn't working, I spent every waking moment writing to meet the publisher's deadlines. So. Right. I have to tell you when um, when the book when I when I clicked submit to the last title or to the last word for the publisher, um, I literally just laid out in my office um, and cried because I was <laughs> I was so happy to with be tears. finished with it. Tears of joy. Yeah, but, but it's also the case. Then you get into the I, and I've done this, you know, as you know, twenty times. Uh, you get into the point where you're like, okay, it's done, but now there's this and this and this, and then okay, now it's done. No, no, now it's done. Yeah. Now, and it's like <laughs> you, get, you get to 99% and then 99.9 and then 99.99. And it's like, <laughs> will this ever actually end? Right. So it does, as we both <laughs> know, it does. Um, and I'm and and thank heavens. So um it's been truly a labor of love though. Um my intention for writing the book was um, to invoke change and to create um, equitable workplaces, schools, 
uh, societies, and of course, a world where everybody can feel valued, included, and like they belong. And I believe that more people want to learn how to be inclusive. Um, they just really don't know how, don't know where to look, right. um, don't know how to find the resources. They're relying on um, information that's not necessarily uh, leading them to drive change. So that's what I'm hoping that this book will bring about, um, to have conversations, having conversations in the LinkedIn group to support one another and um, to be able to um, be able to see your, your, your fellow coworker or your colleague for who they actually are instead of who you think they are. Right. So uh, we're going to use the short title, which is Impactful Inclusion Toolkit. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have to say, I was, I was really pleased to see that it is a toolkit in the sense that many people, especially with DEI, literally don't know where to start. So it's kind of like a big button that says, start here. Yeah, right. <laughs> because it's a it's a difficult thing. I, I completely agree with you um, that I think people want to be more inclusive. They literally, especially in the smaller businesses, they don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. You know, and 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 I think often people start in the wrong place, which is they start with the numbers and statistics instead of saying, well, wait a minute, uh, don't I already have all the resources I need to start right now? And that I, I just need to, you know, as they always say, you have to start with where you are, mm -hmm. not with where you want to be. You have to start today with where you are. And so, uh, and that, and that's partly why it becomes overwhelming is because you're like, yeah, but I'm just me, you know? <laughs> yeah. And what can I do as one person? Um, and it's interesting that you brought that up because when it comes to the one person thing, I'm a huge advocate of not taking a journey by yourself. So uh, throughout the book, I encourage people to uh, find like-minded individuals who can take this journey with them. And there's a reason that I begin the book with, I wanna say what the first five chapters really set you up for success in this journey. Um, first of all, I ask you to get to know yourself. What are your beliefs? What are your upbringing? Um, you know, how, how did you come to believe the things that you believe? Connect, and then once you've, you know, realized the, the impact that your upbringing has had on your diversity lens, <laughs> um, then let's take a look at um, connecting with why diversity, equity, and inclusion is important to you. And why is it important now? Because in 2020, a lot of people weren't even thinking about it. But I want to say that while the movement um, has lost momentum in the last few years, there's still a lot of activity going on and people still wanting to be a part of, of creating more equitable societies. So I, I want to say that in the beginning of the book, you know, I, I introduce you to things slowly by having you get to know yourself. Um, learning how to create new habits, learning how to make connections with people who are different from you. So you're learning how to build relationships. And then the book is structured in such a way that once you've read the activity, uh, then there are um, actions for you to take to reinforce the activities. So for example, if I'm talking about uh, building cultural competence, and for individuals who don't spend a lot of time around people who are different from them, 
it's not, well, yeah, you could read it in a book, but the nuances of, of connecting and building the relationships is very different than experiencing other cultures. So I'll give you some actions to do to help you experience other cultures. So as you start to acquire that knowledge and build that skill, when you come into the workplace, um, you know, that new knowledge comes in with you. And right. so, and then putting it in bite-sized chunks. So like it's 52 behaviors. The reason that it's 52 is because <laughs> rather than sit down and read the book, uh, start to finish over the course of a few weeks or a few months, um, in order for it to to take effect, you need to practice it consistently. Any new habit, any new skill requires that you do it consistently. So, um, you know, it's, it's just like a, a gym membership, right? You buy the membership, but if you don't show up and, and do the squats and, you know, run the miles or nothing's going to happen. So in thinking about how to help people become more inclusive, it, my mindset was, how do I get people to engage and connect with this? on a consistent basis. Right. So let's put it in bite-sized chunks and then help them do it every week. And does that help it to be something that uh, makes it easy for groups to use or for a workshop type environment? Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> See, my job is to give you slow pitch and your job is to knock them over the fence. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, you know, if doing these activities um, as a group, if you're, you know, if you have um, book clubs, I have friends who are in book clubs, so you can do these together. In fact, the reason that I launched the, uh, the LinkedIn group community uh, was for that very reason, so that people could come together and talk about it and, um, and, and learn from one another and share best practices. So if you're at an organization that has an employee resource group or business resource group, depending on where you are, um, you know, the name changes, uh, but this is certainly something where you could, you know, take three or four activities and talk about them and apply them to your work experiences and then use the actions to integrate inclusion into um, your regular interactions every single day. So um, you and I have worked together for years <laughs> and I'm grateful, actually, I'm really grateful to have had that experience. And, you know, one of the things we worked on is sort of like making people feel welcome in the work environment, even if they've already got the job. So DEI isn't all about hiring or, or you know, starting over or picking the right, you know, people or whatever. A lot of it is just making people feel like they can show up as their whole self. And so part of the inclusion is like, you know, don't, don't hide who you are at work. And, right. and uh, we're going to get to some of the stuff on diversity, but, um, how important is it for people to to show up as their whole selves? And, I, you know, what exactly does that mean for the average workplace? So, you know, in most industries, the 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 dominant culture is men or, or white men um, or white women. The dominant culture um, it has, you know, built these companies and now that the, the world is changing, more and more people of difference are entering into the workplace. So, you know, I've noticed uh, since I've been on the job market that a lot of um, applications actually have a, a box for you to check now about your disabilities. So they're opening up um, and making people with disabilities uh, feel more welcomed into the workplace. That, I, I you know, 
five years ago, I didn't see that. So um, as as the as the um, as our world is changing, um, organizations are changing with it, and they're inviting uh, more diverse groups in. But their culture isn't such that that they feel included. The expectation is for them to assimilate and leave pieces of themselves at home. Um, for example, there's always a lot of controversy um, around um, Afrocentric hairstyles. You know, women who wear afros or braids or dreads or, or men for that matter. Um, you know, there's always controversy around that. And so the dominant culture, uh, those hairstyles are unprofessional. So in order to succeed in the workplace, they've got to um, either, you know, I want to say accept the, the consequences of that or um, make the change. Meanwhile, that's not how they're feeling on the inside. You know, they want to embrace, you know, we want to embrace our culture. We want to um, bring our whole selves to work and not leave um, because our, our hair represents who we are as, an, as a people. And if you have to leave a piece of that at home, then you're not bringing all of you to work. Um, some individuals, if they speak with an accent, um, they're working hard to suppress it if they can. Um, because they don't want to be recognized as um, as being different, or you know that common question that you know uh, people from other countries get. Even if you're an Asian American, uh, people will ask you, you know, well, where are you from? You've been in America all your life. You were born here. You right. you're you're a citizen. But people, you know, it's it makes you feel othered when people go, no, where are you really from? So you know, th the book talks about those types of dynamics and how to navigate them. But not only that, it also shares with you how you're making people feel in the process of, of those behaviors and uh, exemplifying those beliefs. So bringing your authentic self to work is one of those things that um, I talk about from the standpoint of individuals who want to bring their authentic selves to work and individuals who are necessarily uh, perpetuating the fact that they shouldn't. So uh, just a commercial break. Uh, I want to make sure everybody knows that we're going to put a link to the book uh, on Amazon and to the um, the group on LinkedIn. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that you can get to those very easily. Um, on the diversity side, I actually thought about you the other day. I was listening to an interview on Bloomberg about, um, you know, everybody talks about all these people leaving California because of the work environment, blah, blah, blah. And um, so they're interviewing this guy and said, you know, is this better than you thought or worse than you thought or what? And he said, you know what? A lot of states have their value hidden. You know, it's either in the oil in the ground or it's in the, the technology in their little triangle or whatever. California has this resource of diversity that constantly creates new money almost out of nothing because of the massive creativity that happens out of simple diversity. And this guy was not uh, a DEI attorney or you know an activist or what. He was a an analyst on a hundred percent on the business side on Bloomberg. And it's like, okay, you know, and there's actually a lot of research about how diversity has a direct impact, a positive impact on uh revenue, income, uh, profit, <laughs> right? Yes. And not business case. And, and mm -hmm. of course creativity itself, which is what makes all those things happen. Do you think there's more acceptance of that statistic than there used to be? Um, 
Absolutely, because more and more organizations are embracing diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, however, at the same time, it that work doesn't always just fall on organizations because not all leaders have bought into it. So um, when you think about the business case and the uh, leveraging the benefits or reaping the benefits of a diverse workforce, which like you said, Carl, is uh, more profitability, uh, more innovation, more creativity, better problem solving. Um, when you have a diverse work group as opposed to homogenous work group, um, homogeneity will get you the same thoughts all the time. People tend to not challenge each other. They're more accepting of, of the status quo. When you um, add a diverse perspective in there, that's where the creativity begins. When you start to insert new ideas and explore them and, um, and then work to enhance them. And it doesn't matter where the idea came from. So, um, you know, always having um, a, a good representation of your marketplace for who you're designing products and services for is the best way to get that creativity. When it comes to um, the individuals within the organization who just so happen to be um, where there's diversity, but there is no inclusion or they're, or they're one of the first, the few's or the only's in the organization, I actually have dedicated an entire activity to how to navigate that space um, as a first few or an only, or um, if you're in an organization and you realize that there's you know, um, 35 people on your team and only uh, two of them are people of color. Um, how do you embrace, how do you help them feel, how do you help them have a sense of belonging um, in, in all that lack of difference, so to speak? So um, I really like to look at it from um, a two-pronged approach when it comes to um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Organizations can drive it from the top down, which is typically what they do. Um, but I'm offering a skill set to also build it from the bottom up. And if you have having one or the other is better than nothing. But if you can have both, I mean, that's just a beautiful thing. Right. So with with teams, do you think there's a lot of people who sort of on their way to management uh, are are, I guess, including diversity as more of a one of the themes that they want to bring with them? Uh, as you know, like, hey, to be a manager, I want to I want to actually bring this with me and make this more important in my company. It depends on your beliefs. Um, some individuals um, I've talked to many uh, middle managers and senior leaders who have um, who are very strong in their stance of I'm just going to hire the best person for the job. And oftentimes um, and when they consider what the best person for the job looks like is someone who looks like them. Right. Um, and so I'm working to help individuals recognize that tendency and that bias and be more objective when they're hiring the best person for the job, because maybe they don't look like you, or maybe they don't look like everybody else on the team. Look at their skill sets and what they, um, and the value that they add, um, as opposed to um, the other uh, way people look at it is culture fit. So there's, you know, some people are excluded because their culture is so different that they feel that they're just not going to fit into the culture. 
Um, but if you look at it from the perspective of what value can this individual bring to my team and how can I leverage that, um, that's where managers will really start to reap the benefits of a diverse workforce. And even if they're not, you know, oftentimes people are not going to have that heart and mind conversation about diversity, but they understand why it's important. So even if they don't necessarily, um, you know, believe in equity and inclusion, but they can see the value in it, um, they can still practice it. It's just not going to be as effective and genuine as if you bought into it. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. The uh, the different departments can actually be very well intentioned and work against each other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I Amy Babinchak and I put together a presentation about how we each have had these experiences that we made some changes to the job descriptions that we have, the job ads. And suddenly got a very different and more diverse group of people to apply. And, and it wasn't huge. Language. It wasn't huge changes. It was literally saying things like everybody is welcome here. Mm -hmm. Right. And because a lot of people, um, they if if job candidates exclude themselves, right? It's mm -hmm. not it's not simply because they say, Oh, that kind of company wouldn't hire somebody like me. It's because the job ad doesn't make it look like they are actually welcome to apply. Exactly. And so, so they exclude themselves. So the, the people like say in the HR department, they might be, they might think that they're trying really, really hard and they got all these policies and procedures, but then they put out a job ad that basically says, you know, you need 10 years at Harvard and right. <laughs> need these degrees and da, 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 da. It's like, yeah. you know, Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, <laughs> you know, and so so they end up writing job ads that basically uh, lead a lot of people to say, well, that's not for me. They're exclusive. They're excluding women. They're excluding marginalized groups. They're, um, you know, they're written sometimes in such a way that it, it just turns people off so they won't apply. One of the things that I've noticed, um, too, in job ads is um, in addition to um, making those statements about everyone being welcome here, they're also talking about you're welcome to apply even if you don't meet the entire list of criteria that we're asking about. Because you know research has shown that women won't apply for a job unless they have maybe 80 to 90% of the qualifications listed, where men will apply every time, regardless of how many of those qualifications they meet. So uh, just being able to put that, you know, putting those two sentences there, uh, you're welcome to apply, even if you don't have all the qualifications and skills, um, or, you know, all are welcome here, um, helps people know, especially if you, if you um, back that up with the same type of language and images on your website, because right. typically, you know, that's part of the, the the candidate process. They look at the job ad, and if that looks good, then they'll go to your website. And you want to be able to leave those, um, send those messages um, from start to finish. Yeah. So uh, Dave Sobel, who I think you know, mm -hmm. uh, does this quarterly report where he looks at all of these IT companies, and he goes to their website, and he goes to their about page, mm -hmm. and he counts the number of non-white males, <laughs> right? And and you know all these companies. They, they go on and on and on about the policies for this and that, and everybody's welcome and so forth and so on. But when you go to their website, the people whose faces they put in their about page or their our team page 
tell a story. And whether you like it or not, um, people who go there and say, oh, there, there's not a single person who looks like me, mm -hmm. they are less likely to apply. Yes, absolutely. Um, or I, I visited this one company's website and they were um, talking about their, their value of how they value diversity, equity, and inclusion. And they even put their statistics up in terms of um, how many women they had, how many eth ethnically diverse individuals they had. Um, a couple other statistics I don't remember, but then when I went to the leadership page, um, there was no people of color in leadership. <laughs> so what that said to me is that you're welcome here, but you're not welcome to advance, um, which sent a terrible message. I didn't apply on to that <laughs> to that right. company because um, at the level that I'm in, I already had this this feeling that um, a person of color. And um, at a senior leadership role would not do well there. Right. So with, um, you know, some of the stuff that that you deal with, do you find a lot of resistance still? I mean, there are some people who, you know, I'll just be honest in this era that we live in, write it off and say, oh, you know, that's just that's just a thing. Those people want to talk about. We did a discussion uh, or I saw a discussion on Reddit somebody brought up this question of, hey, women, why are we putting up with this in the IT industry? And one of the early responses was somebody who said, oh, my God, please don't bring this into IT. I deal with this in every other aspect of my life. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Right. Uh, yeah. And there are some industries like IT that are notorious uh, for a lack of diversity. And um, and part of, of my journey here is, is working to, to change the face of organizations and help. Well, I when I when I was considering when as I was writing the book, I was writing it to the everyday individual who doesn't necessarily have the power and authority to drive policy and change, but just desires to be more inclusive. But that doesn't mean that the uh, the senior vice president of HR can't read this book. And um, and learn how to be more inclusive, uh, not only to you know um, the individuals that that work at the company, but to their peers um, and colleagues. I mean, it's it's it doesn't just stop at you know um, the people who um, who who don't report to you. Um, being inclusive requires that you that you never take the hat off. That you're inclusive when you're, you know, talking to um, a direct colleague. You're inclusive when you're talking to the receptionist. Uh, when you're talking to the the the, the, um, the, the cleaning staff, um, it's you keep it on all the time. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to share the fact that you can benefit from reading the book, regardless of where you are within the organization. The book empowers you to be inclusive if you're in an environment that doesn't have any DEI policies, if you're in an environment that um, is, is, um, is performative, where they're not making any, um, where they're not making any changes, they're right. doing stuff and there's no real changes, but you can take this action, these actions and do them 
on your own or with other like-minded people. I do like the tagline that uh, inclusion is everybody's job and that anybody can do it. Because mm-hmm. I, I do think to your last point that some people say, well, I'm not in management. I don't get to make decisions and so forth. But you can still make somebody feel welcome, right? Right. It's, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, you only have a couple minutes left. So let me ask you a question you're not prepared for and you may not want to answer. Okay. What is your favorite chapter of this book? It is chapter 19. Wow. Wow. Was I wrong? 17. It is chapter 17. Um, Because I knew somebody was going to ask me that. And I was like, every author's got a favorite something. And clever I thought I was. (laughs) (laughs) But you're the first uh, to ask me. So I'll give you, I'll, I'll certainly give you kudos for that. And thank you. It's about devoting yourself to critical thinking. Um, for the, you know, for many folks who are embracing this for the first time, um, it's critical to understand why diversity is important to you, but you're listening to everybody other than yourself. Um, you hear it in news cycles, social media, opinions of family and friends, um, but you're, you need to listen to diverse perspectives and step outside of that echo chamber and think for yourself. And the question you need to ask yourself is, Um, does this belief enhance or diminish the interactions that I have with other people? How does this perspective create equity and inclusion? Devoting time to critical thinking gives you the ability to answer those questions and make adjustments. Very good. Excellent. Well, I knew you'd have an answer of some kind. (laughs) (laughs) Yvette Steele, uh, the book is Impactful Inclusion Toolkit. And believe it or not, this is just happenstance, but it is going to be released by Amazon and start shipping on the day that this podcast airs. So absolutely Yay! everybody uh, can go and order it today and uh, maybe even get it tomorrow. So thank mm-hmm. you for being with us. And I look forward to speaking with you again. Please do. I can't All right. wait. All right. Thank you everybody for listening to the SMB Community Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.